Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. As we look at God's Word today in Ephesians chapter 4, we want to just share, as I already mentioned, I believe God is, is wanting to speak order, life, and health. And um, I know whatever you need from God, He's able to provide it. Amen. He's able to give us what we need. And all that we need, we find in Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. The word of the Lord says this, With the Lord's authority, I say this. Let me remind you, with the Lord's authority. How many know there's no higher authority than the Lord's authority? With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. If that's you today, he's come to shine light in your place of trouble and bring restoration and hope. Now, If you are the one who is hopelessly confused, let God restore you. But please don't inspire or encourage someone to pay attention because you think they're hopelessly confused. For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness, chaos. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame For they live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, since you've learned this, since you've heard about Him, throw off the old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, somebody say instead. Instead, Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. I love that point. He says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. The seed is good, but if the soil isn't ready to receive it, it doesn't matter what the seed is able to do if the soil does not give permission or allow. Allow the Spirit today to work in your heart. Let the Spirit give you new life. Let the Spirit give you new thoughts and new attitude. Put your new nature, put it on, the one that is created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell others, our neighbors, let us tell them the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Jump down to verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. This is our goal and desire this morning that we would allow God to put order where there might be chaos. I don't know what level of chaos you might face, what might be going on in your life, but he's the God of order. 
And today, let him make us new in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for truth. Lord, that you change us and renew us by the power of your spirit. God, I thank you, Lord, for the word that you've spoken. Now, I pray, God, that you would, you would cause it to come to life. Lord, that our hearts would receive, that, that God, it would be spoken clearly. But, Lord, more than just the, the, the voice and more than just the audible of, of sounds, I pray, God, that our hearts would hear what your Spirit is saying today. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say, that we might be transformed and changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Is that your desire? Say amen. If that's your desire, that God would do that in us on your way to being seated, just high-five somebody and tell them this is a game-changer. I believe this morning it is going to be a game changer for us, for you, for the life that God has for us. I pray in Jesus' name that I can share this the way it came out in first service. I believe that God is wanting to just bring freedom and restoration and uh, wholeness in our lives. If, if you're joining us for the first time uh, during this series, uh, get a handle on it. Uh, been our goal that we would be able to grow in our relationship from Romans chapter 15 verse 5 it says this that we that Paul's prayer for us is that we would grow in complete harmony with one another as is fitting for those who follow Jesus Christ that we would grow in complete harmony with one another there's a difference between complete harmony and and harmony that is just either temporary or made to get by. You can have harmony with people, and you know what it's like, that it's, it's almost forced harmony because you get along because you have to. You're related to them, so you get along. There's a harmony that is just a, a, a momentary, and you do so out of necessity, but then there is a harmony that develops us because in our relationship with one another, we are changed, that we grow in, in likeness to Christ, and in growing in likeness to Christ, we grow in harmony. We don't grow in the same person because we're supposed to be different, but we're supposed to join in such a way that we help to complete one another. That's the picture of marriage that God gives us, the union that we have in Christ that we are, we are made one in Christ, but we are still, we're the bride of Christ. He is the Savior. He's the Redeemer. In marriage, it's two people who are totally different coming together and God creating oneness, and there's a development, and they have relationship together. That even in the body of Christ, we're different. There's different backgrounds, different things about us, but we come together for complete harmony, that we have a oneness of heart, a oneness of desire to see the work of God go forth, that it's not just forced and get along. This past weekend, we had our, our faith marriage weekend and, and just a, a great time as we shared together with, with, uh, with uh, couples and, and just a time of being challenged and encouraged. And one of the things we said there is that too often in relationships, we settle for sufficiency when God has given us intimacy. God wants us to have intimacy, and sometimes we settle for just sufficiency, just getting by, just managing. And we have managed harmony, but God wants us to have complete harmony, that we would be able to grow and develop one another. We would spur one another on to godliness, to good works, that we would rub off on each other in godly ways, in, in influential ways of encouraging each other, that we would become better because of the relationship that we have together. So in order for us to have complete harmony and growing as is fitting for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. We're not going to have harmony with the world. Because the Bible, of course, says, what does light have to do with darkness? What do the prophets of Baal have to do with, with the prophets of God? That we're not to be unequally yoked. We're not talking about harmony with everybody because that's unrealistic. You can only have harmony around truth. 
And truth is only Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. That's not arrogance. That's recognition of, of knowing that there is only one way and one truth. If there were multiple truths, there'd be no truth. You can't have multiple ways to heaven and get to heaven. That's like saying you can get to, you can get to California any direction. Okay, maybe you say, well, eventually you'll sometime, somehow just arrive there and get around there. But th that's not true. It doesn't work that way. Truth can only be truth when there is truth. You can't have multiple options to try and arrive at truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only hope that we have. And when we come to recognizing that truth, when we know that, our lives are made complete and formed in unity and in, and in complete harmony when we allow Christ to be the center of everything that we are and everything that we're about. Amen. But the problem is, we grew up in a broken world. As we said in, in Exodus 20, the Bible says that the sins of the fathers are passed on to their children and the children are affected, that the whole family is affected by the sin of the father up to the third and fourth generation that we are affected by the sins of the fathers. And if we're trying, we're trying to receive something that is good in vessels that are broken. We're trying to receive love, which is good and which is necessary, but we're in broken vessels. It's not enough that we put new wine skin, or new wine, but that we have to have new wine skin. That it's not enough to just have water, but it, it must be a, a, a hole and not a broken cistern. That God wants us to receive love, to know love, to experience love, to have growing relationships, but we cannot in broken methods and in broken ways. And you and I have all been, have experienced and encountered love through broken methods and broken ways. Because the people who we have learned love from have been broken people. My parents are wonderful people, but they're not perfect people. In their, in their desire and in their goal to do their best, there's still a brokenness that I cannot receive true love, not coming from the, the, the horizontal that is outside until I first know the love of God that is established vertically, that I have a love that receives from God. But because we've been affected by a broken world, it's affected our ability to receive love. As a result, we have, we have developed and been conditioned to respond and expect in a certain way. Now, we've talked about some of those, and we're going to talk today about one more. One of those styles or the ways that we've tried to receive love, or, or not even just to receive love, but how we deal with, with relationships. We talked the first week, and just a quick review, the first week of those who have become avoiders, that they've been conditioned in life that because they've not learned how to deal with weakness, they've avoid. Their weakness needs make them feel weak, and so they don't deal well with emotions. They don't even deal well with the feelings of themselves or others because they would just rather avoid. They don't deal well with weaknesses, and, and they don't like feeling weak because they've been taught in life that you just do well. You just suck it up. You don't cry. You just perform. You just do your best, and they've been taught to not be able to connect in, in intimacy and, and, in, and in more complete harmony because they become avoiders. We looked as well and talked about those who have been developed as people pleasers. They've been those who, who are so in tune with the tension and, and the feelings of people around them that they absorb things that are not their own, that there are people who are carrying burdens that they're not able to carry. And they're, they're so in tune with other people's feelings and they fear, uh, they don't know how to handle, handle and manage fear. And because of that, they just absorb to try and relieve the tension, to make fear go away by, by just pleasing and fixing everything. How many know and have learned in life there's some things you can't fix? There's some things you can't 
can't uh, curb or, or, or stay away from or protect from. We're vulnerable to life, life's issues and, and things that we go through. We can't absorb that tension. Last week, we talked about people who fall in the category of perfectionists, and they've been taught to and conditioned by the high standards and expectations of things always going a certain way. And they want perfection. They want things to be predictable, things to be in order. But we find out in life, much of life is not perfect or ideal. You can desire things to fall in a certain line in a certain place, but it doesn't always go the way you want. In fact, it rarely goes the way you want. Life doesn't happen on our timetable and our preference and our desire. And how do we handle those things when it doesn't go our way? When it doesn't happen the way we like, how do we live learning how to live in the middle of being satisfied and, and, and knowing the, 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 the satisfaction, the sufficiency that we have in Christ, that he is more than enough. Today I want to talk about the other two and um, the two remaining that we want to talk about in this series, and that is those who are controllers and those who are victims. People who are prone to have a heavy control and to have strong dominance. I don't have to tell you that that probably does make it hard to have nurturing and developing and healthy relationships. That when there's a one-sided, and I know we all need to practice self-control, it's every one of us that we have to learn self-control in our lives, but there are some that are affected by this, this means and this way of, of trying to protect themselves by having a hard shell and having control. The situation, that condition that makes for this is usually, and here's why I use the word chaos, is because people who fall in the category of either being controllers or victims are people who probably in life have been surrounded by chaos. And by chaos, I mean this, unresolved conflict. That life has always been about tension and unresolved conflicts. Obviously, going back, maybe even in childhood, and we've said this, we're gonna say this for the next couple of weeks as we're doing this series, that we're not going back to dig up the past, but we do have to deal with the baggage we brought with us. We're not digging up stuff we've gone through, but we have to deal with some baggage that we may have brought along the way and baggage that, that, that has followed us and affects us in our relationships. Here's the, the, uh, the unresolved issues and unresolved conflict in a home of, of someone who's been conditioned to be a controller. It, it takes this desire to control the situation because much of life or much of an existence that they know has been out of their control. There have been places, in fact, it's the, the, the picture, the classic picture of the bully who's been made in an environment. And I know us growing up, me, I'm 20 years removed from, from high school and, and in my time of middle school, hearing the, the method or the message that was given was self-esteem. You can do it. Believe in yourself. That message still goes on, but really a strong message that permeates in our schools and in the public school is anti-bullying. It's people who, are, who, have, who have come to a place of trying to dominate. And I know it takes place in social media and uh, there's a bullying that can happen on media. And this whole picture of bullying is someone who has dominance over somebody else and takes control by putting other people down. And they put other people down and they dominate in an environment and they control the situation. And the reason they do that is because likely a student who does that in school is probably bullied at home. They have much out of control 
control. They're dominated at home. They're either abused, they're beaten, they're, they're put down. Whatever their environment puts them in a place that it's out of their control. And because they feel that, that abuse, that difficulty, they then want to take control of an environment. And they do so to dominate and take control so that that never happens to them again. They put themselves in a place of, I'm not going to let anybody take advantage of me. I'm not going to let the chaos that has surrounded me in my home life and what I was vulnerable to. I felt so vulnerable, so unresolved. Sometimes in homes where there's family members coming and going, maybe in situations where there's not consistency in, 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 in uh, parents that are, that are there. Obviously, to the extreme, maybe a, a father who is a drug addict, and it's hard for that child to have stability with a dad because they come and they go, and there's always this vulnerability and never being able to really have resolved conflict in their life. And here's the resolved conflict. Never being able to fully mourn what you've lost. I've got to give a plug here for the grief share here at Faith Assembly led by Deb Barbage. I believe there's a great ministry and some of us might need to experience that support and being able to, to talk and evaluate and talk through some of the loss and pain because some of you aren't mourning the father that passed away. Some of you are mourning the father you never had. Some are mourning things that we've wanted and desired and have never been there and the chaos that surrounds. And so we've learned to live in tension and because we've been conditioned to live in tension, it almost becomes an addiction that we don't know how to deal or even live in normalcy because there's always chaos. You know what it's like sometimes that there are folks that there's always an issue. There's always a problem. There's always something that needs to work that we don't know how to really deal, deal with with the calm because we're just used to it always being upside down and tension and difficulty. And so the method that we try to make sure we don't feel that pain again is we develop this idea of being a controller and here's at the heart of a controller. The only emotion they know is anger. The only emotion that a controller knows is anger. Now, anger isn't the problem. I mean, in fact, we just read, the Bible says this, he's, the, the Bible tells us that we're to, to be angry but not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If anger was the problem, the Bible would have said, and don't ever get angry. But the Bible doesn't say don't get angry. In fact, some people pleasers and avoiders could learn how to get angry. I mean, there's some, there's some people pleasers that it would do you well to get angry in a righteous way, in a good way. That that emotion, God gave you that emotion to be able to move to something that is productive. Jesus, on his way to being crucified, he comes into the temple, and on the same week that he's about to give his life, he is the sacrifice, knows what he's doing. And by the way, how many know Jesus was in full regard and fully knew and in touch with his emotions? He was fully man. We sometimes forget that he was so much man that he knew anger, he knew hurt, he knew resentment, he knew pain, he knew the things that you and I face. He was affected in every way that we are. Jesus knew that he was going to give his life. He's on his way back to Jerusalem for this purpose. I am going to die. 
I'm going to lay my life down as a sacrifice for all of humanity. And as he comes into the temple, into the place of worship, the Bible says that there were people who were making money off of the sacrifice. They were selling doves and animals for sacrifice, and they're making money off of the sacrifice. Jesus could have stood there and said, I'm so offended that I'm about ready to die, and you're making money off of what I'm about to do for you. But Jesus doesn't say about his offense, what does he say? He has anger, and the Bible says he threw the tables over. I've wanted to do that sometimes. <laughs> Jesus flipped the tables over, and he says to them the reason that he's upset. You see, because it's one thing to get upset, it's another thing to know the reason why you get upset. We try to change our life by dealing with the what, but we never get really changed because we don't deal with the why. You see, Jesus didn't just say what you're doing. Flip the tables. I'm mad you're making money, and it's bothering me because I'm about ready to sacrifice, and I'm upset at what you're doing. But he said the why. You've turned my father's house into a den of thieves, a place where God wants to give freely you are now making and taking advantage of what God has come to make freely. I'm bothered not because you've offended me, not because you're making money off of the sacrifice I'm about uh, on the, the, the method of what I'm about to do. Jesus said it wasn't about him. He knew his reason for anger was justified. You're making it hard for people to come to my father. My father's house is to be a house, a, a, an open house, a place, but you've turned my father's house where anyone is invited and you've made it a den of thieves that makes it hard and takes advantage of people and plays on people and makes it hard for people to come to come to God. You have affected not the what you're doing, but the why you're doing. Have you allowed your anger to get to a place that you don't just get angry because of what, but you know why? Because if you don't know why you're angry, how many know, listen, here, I'll tell you this, if you don't know why you're really angry and if all the reason for your anger hits the what, if you've only answered what you're mad about, well, I'm angry because they said, I'm angry because they did. Well, that might very well turn into an unrighteous or unhealthy anger. Because unhealthy anger is destructive, but healthy anger is productive. That when you allow a healthy anger, and it's usually connected, if you've got, got a good why to the reason that you might be angry, to what it is that's going on, there's nothing wrong with being angry. The problem is when you let the sun go down on your anger, which means you've let your anger go too long. At some point, your anger needs to turn to grief. If the anger never reaches a place of grief, how many know Jesus was not just angry at what they were doing, there was a grief about what was happening. I am grieved that you're turning my father's house into a den of thieves. I'm grieved that my father's house, listen, he said my father's house. What do you think his father's house is? My father's house is where anybody can come. You're welcome. You belong here. It's my father's house. You're turning my father's house that anybody's welcome and you're turning it into a den of thieves. I'm grieved. I'm angry at this, but there's a grief that comes with it. And here's the problem with controllers. They never get to the place of feeling grief. They only feel anger. They only feel bothered. They only feel angered. And there's this constant tension of never being resolved, never being able to meet resolution. I think one of the key things we shared yesterday in the marriage weekend is that too many disagreements and too many things in marriages don't know how to come to healthy resolution. 
We don't know how to healthy, have a healthy resolution to our conversations. We, we don't know sometimes how to bring resolution. But how many know that he's a God who knows how to help us bring resolution? He knows how to bring healing. He knows how to bring forgiveness and allow that, that work that needs to be done in us to be able to come to a place of relief. How many know it's a lot of work to carry tension all your life, anger, difficulty, and never find relief? I know there's some people that might be here today and, and you, you relate to this. I'm asking you not to think of someone who relates to this. I'm asking you to consider whether or not you relate to this. Because for you to say, well, I'm glad that person's here because they really need to hear this, doesn't allow you to really deal with what needs to be done. Because remember, Getting a handle on it is not making sure it's the right person on the other side of the door. It's making sure it's the right person opening the door. It's the right person at the handle. And we oftentimes focus on what other people need to do, and we think, well, relationships would be better if they would stop doing this, start doing this, if they'd get a handle on this, if they'd do this. But your relationship is not going to be better because someone else does something. It's going to be better because you do something. Because if someone else does something, it might not ever fully satisfy to your desires and to your wants because you've not dealt with the tension that's going on on the inside of you. Have you allowed healing to come to your brokenness? Have you mourned the loss and the frustration and the tension that you may have been carrying and what may be going on? The, the, he says here, Paul tells us in verse 25, he says, stop lying to one another. And start telling the truth. Here's the reason why he's using that word lying. Because he's talking about the, the uh, people um, who are like the Gentiles. They're confused. Their hearts are hardened. They don't allow any emotions. And they're just rough. They're impulsive. They lust. They deceive. Controllers can be really good at manipulating. And even deception. To try and make things work the way they want. And he says here, he says, stop lying, start telling the truth to your neighbor because we're part of the same body. There are controllers that they put up the front and the only thing they know is anger because they don't want to hurt like they've hurt before. They're protecting themselves. They're trying to make sure they don't feel the pain that they felt. And because they haven't learned how to handle the grief, it's an unresolved conflict, they're angry and the anger causes them to go in protection mode. But realize this, and here, by the way, your neighbor is the person closest to you. That's what neighbor means, the near person. And your neighbor could be a relative, could be anybody, whoever you're close with at that time. But when you think that you're protecting and you put up anger to protect yourself, you're not protecting yourself, you're only prolonging your healing. When we allow anger to be our main emotion, that's not protection. It's only prolonging the healing. The Bible says, and Paul says this, he says you're a part of the same body. How many know that the body is meant to heal itself? That if we're not in good relationship, you're not gonna find healing. I thank God that when I touch something hot, my brain knows about it. If my hand touched something hot and tried to deceive my brain and say, it's not hot, that's not hot, that's not hot. How many know the more I deceive or the more I don't allow truth, or if truth isn't registered in my brain, it's part of the same body, that if I ignore the truth and I lie, if there's deception, how many know I'm going to have bigger issues? Your body in relationship, when anger gets up and when you're angry, whether it be in marriage, a 
or people that we have, and we allow anger to be the main. Anger isn't a problem to have anger. The problem is when the anger is so dominating and controlling, and the anger overtakes, and it causes us, really what we're doing is we're harming ourselves, because what's happening is we're not allowing the healing that we need that comes through God, but also is received through one another, and we're deceiving, don't you know you're part of the same body? Don't you know that the body can heal itself that when we allow these things to, to come in and we allow these things to operate because the problem is that we put off a front and anger uh, keeps it, makes it hard for people to get in. And for some of us, that's what we're doing. I don't want to let you in because I don't want to hurt like I hurt before. I don't want to feel what I felt before. I don't want to go through what I felt before because the chaos surrounded the life and chaos that's going on. And I know that's a real picture of our world. I believe we've always had chaos in our world. I don't want to paint the picture, man, things are worse than they've ever been. But it is, sin is abounding. But how many know the Bible says that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. I do believe there's more brokenness in our world today. I do, I do believe there's more dysfunctional homes in our world today. I do believe that there are more fatherless children in our world today. And I believe a lot of that, that tension and, and the, the brokenness and the reason we have to talk about bullying, the reason we have to talk about learning how to be kind and how to treat one another is because we've just become a lot of broken people who just keep hurting people. And unfortunately, that, hurt, that, that happens right within our homes. We hurt and we, we deceive and we, uh, we either neglect or we take advantage of of one another, and there's brokenness that surrounds us. But God has come that we might have healing. If there are people who deal with anger, I wish I could say today, if you just start doing this and stop doing that, your anger will get under control. But you can't. Because at the heart of anger, it's not what you're doing wrong. If anger controls us, it's not because of what we're doing, it's because the devil has a foothold on our heart. When anger controls you, now I'm going to make a statement here. It's going to be straightforward that if anger is the only emotion you know and if anger controls your response, it might be that your heart does not belong to Jesus as much as you want it to. You cannot operate in a way of anger that is so abusive, putting down words of destruction, it does not work. In fact, if I might even go so far to say the first part we read, verse 17 and the first couple verses, it says that they are deeply confused, they are closed in their heart and hardened in their mind, or, or closed in their mind, hardened in their heart. And the Bible says as well, that there's a distance, that they don't hear the word of God or they reject truth. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist, and the Bible says already in John, that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. Now, how many know the spirit of the Antichrist is only going to increase as we get closer to the end times? Because at some point, the Antichrist is going to be seated in power. But I believe this that those who are in Jesus Christ will be caught up to meet him in the air, that we will be gone. That is the hope that we have. So one of the reasons why there's more brokenness 
is because the spirit of the Antichrist is at work. Now, we can look at that and say, oh, we got to stop it. we got to stop it. We can't stop what is already going to happen, but we can bring healing to the work that is set here. I can't stop brokenness. We live in a broken world. I can't, I can't keep people from sinning. I mean, goodness sakes, I've got my own self to deal with. Our job is not to create perfect people. Our job is not to create everybody polished and get in the right place. God did not come to make us good people. He came to make dead things come alive. He came to renew us and restore us. And we let the burden of we gotta be good and perfect and do things just the right way, but God didn't come. I'm not here to give you the list of you gotta stop doing this, start doing that, start these things. I'm saying you gotta make sure your heart belongs to Jesus Christ completely. That's the only thing that's going to change your anger problems. The only way you're going to get your anger under control and take care of your fuse. I could say, well, just cut some fuse off there. Make it a little shorter. Actually, what I could say is cut the fuse off and give some to an avoider or a people pleaser because they, they need a fuse. But no, we'll say, no, let God take control. Now, I, listen, I didn't say that person is not saved. I'm saying that the enemy has a foothold that if they're not careful... How many know a foothold turns into full control? That the devil has a foothold. If you don't control your anger, the devil has a foothold. What I want to say to us today is you need to change the course. And what I mean by change the course, I don't mean just stop doing and start doing something different. What I mean by change the course is like the field that you're playing on, you need to turn it over. Like literally change the course. Here's, here's what I mean. How many have ever heard of home field advantage? How many like having home field advantage? If you played sports, if you know what that's about, how many know that the chances, it sounds a lot better when you know, and they said that this year when the Dolphins were playing in Pittsburgh, that the Steelers had home field advantage, not just because it was in Pittsburgh, obviously home field advantage, but it was cold. And how many know fish don't do well from Florida coming into, into the, the cold area? There was a sense of, hey, we got this. They're coming to our territory. Here's what I, when you have home field advantage, there becomes the support. There's people built around. How many know the Bible says in Hebrews that there's a cloud of witnesses that go before, that they're cheering on, that when we allow the home field advantage, but here's the problem. If anger controls us, the devil has a foothold and the devil has home field advantage. But I want to say today, instead, somebody say instead. That word stead, that instead, means to take ground. It's to have placement, like a homestead. That instead, in its place, instead of giving the devil a foothold and letting the devil have a place, we've got to give place to the presence of God because it's only God who can change the heart. It's only God that can reverse the course. It's only God that can change what is taking place in our lives. That we've got to give it over to God and he's got to have control and we've got to surrender and submit to him. If anger is an issue, it is an indicator that not all of you is yet turned over to Jesus. Now get this. I did not say you're not saved because salvation is immediate, but sanctification, the work of God, that is a process. But if you ignore the process of God working in your life, you'll get good at ignoring the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you ignore the work of the Holy Spirit, you can get far enough to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that is an unpardonable sin. I know there are gaps. I get there's a big picture. Trust me. I know it's a big gap between not, not responding to conviction and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I know there are a big gap between them, but they're on the same line. 
There's a big gap between ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I know there's a big gap, okay? So don't hear me at all to say that, oh, you're blaspheming. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying you're on the line that heads there. That when we get good at ignoring the Holy Spirit, putting checks in place and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to our heart and bring to check the thoughts that are in our mind. Are you putting on the new mind? Are you putting on the new heart? Are you allowing God to, to change and transform us and to make us new? I want you to know, I am on a 32-year journey of trying to become more and more like Jesus Christ. I'm still on it. I'm still learning how to let my mind be checked and say, hey, this needs to be brought into place. This needs brought into order. And I have to put this over to God. Because if I'm not, then what I'm saying is, I'm not willing to turn this over to God. I want God to have my heart, but I still want the devil, my flesh, to have this area. Well, the problem with that is, over time, that area is going to start creeping into other areas. And over time, there becomes a, 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 an effect that it contaminates and, and works through. But we've got to give that advantage, that, it, that instead. Here's what he tells us. He says, instead, instead, be kind to one another. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another. Let me just give you a couple things here to change the course this morning. We're going to wrap up. Hear me, you can't do things to get in the right direction. Only God can change you and set you in the right direction. Do you hear me? You cannot come to God by doing good things. You can only get to God by turning your life over to him. So don't leave here today because I'm, I'm wanting you to know you have no hope. <laughs> That's pretty strong. But you have no hope of changing if your goal is to just try to curb your your. Your, 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 short, your, your short fuse or to, or to work on things if you just try and change and, and do better. If your goal is to just leave here and do better, you have no hope. The only thing that's gonna give you hope is to not leave here before you say, God, I'm turning everything I am over to you. That's the only hope you have for changing. That's for all of us. I don't wanna preach a gospel that says if you just start doing these things, and listen, there's parts that we have to do and we can affect that. They do go together. But true change will only happen not when you start doing good things, but when you turn over all that you are. Now, I wake up every morning, and I don't get saved all over again. But I resurrender my life to Jesus. Because the enemy wants to take ground, he wants to come in, and he wants to influence, but I have to surrender over and over again. Why do you think Jesus said, take up your cross every Sunday? I'm glad some of you are shaking your heads no. Like, no, that's not in there. He didn't say take up your cross every Sunday. He said take up your cross every day and follow me. It's a place of surrender every day. It's not a place of punishment. The cross is not my punishment. It's not my burden to bear. It's not my burden. It's my promise. It's my victory. That as I surrender and give to God, I have hope in Jesus Christ. That I'm being made new. I'm being restored. So every day, let me, let me give you some things here. Change the course. Here's number one. If we're going to change the course, we've got to go from emptiness to effectiveness. Here's what I mean by that. Chaos is chaos because it's empty. Confusion happens because there's no order. It's like water flooding an area. Water will always go to where there is no resistance, right? If there's no resistance, water will run there. What's the Bible say in James chapter four? Resist the devil and he will flee. That if we don't fill that place 
with purpose and fill that with the, with the presence of God. And here's what happens. Emptiness gives way to confusion. If we're, not, if we're not fulfilled and we're not making decisions for Christ, if we're not surrendering to Christ, then we're naturally just leaving it free game for whoever wants to. If we don't make a decision that we belong to Jesus Christ, then we're making our, ourselves vulnerable to anything else that would come along. Let me go back to my youth pastor days. I say it this way to teenagers. Don't wait till you get in the backseat of a car with someone to decide whether you, what you're gonna do Make sure you don't get in the backseat of a car with somebody. Don't make the decision in the moment. You've got to decide ahead of time. If you're empty of values, empty of decisions, empty of purpose, then there's always gonna be something fighting for it and you become vulnerable to it. But when you fill it with purpose, when you don't allow emptiness, the Bible says in Proverbs 27 in the Living Translation, it says that idle hands are the workpiece of the devil. It's the only place it says it in the Living Translation. But it's translated that way, that, that idle hands become the, the, the work of the devil. In the same way, the Bible says this, that on the day of judgment, we are going to give an account for every idle word that we speak. And here's what that idol is empty, that it, that it has no value, has no purpose, that if we live our lives empty, then we become vulnerable to the things that come in. So instead of using empty words, instead of words that have no purpose, let there be a purpose of praise. Let there be something in our heart that is regularly saying, God, I'm turned over to you. God, I belong to you. God, everything that I am is yours. I have to, at moments, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me have a better attitude about this thing that's bothering me right now. I'm learning how to let the Holy Spirit put a check inside of me so that I don't give way to thoughts that just cause me to criticize, think I'm better than, or whatever the attitude would get in. I've got to give way and not allow there to be an emptiness, but allow there to be effectiveness. Are you being effective in your life and in your relationships? Because if you're just going empty, anything will fill that spot. We've got to, as he says here, be kind. Replace emptiness with effectiveness. Here's another course that needs to change. We, we need to come as, as well to a place that, that we learn to be tenderhearted. And by being tenderhearted, that we would develop the course from no longer being senseless, but to sensitive. That senseless of just whatever goes. And here's the word he says, be tenderhearted. How many of someone who's a controller, they put up a hard shell. I'm tough. I'm tough. I grew up with a tough mom. I thank God for a tough mom. I thank God when my dad came home to redeem me from a tough mom. <laughs> I, listen, but folks who are hardened have usually gone through something that, they say, I'm never going through that again. I don't want to feel that again. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come and, and help us close. I got one more thing for us to change the course on, but we, we've got to develop a sensitivity and being able to be sensitive to, to where people are, to what's going on in people's lives, to be sensitive, to feel, to, to, feel, to have empathy for one another, to be able to connect in, in that level of sensitivity, having a tender heart. Here's the last thing of, of the course that needs to change. We need to go from being closed-hearted or closed down to being opened up. You can put up a wall, but it works both ways. Not only do you keep what's in from going out, but you also keep what's out from coming in. Notice he says here to forgive, but how? 
forgive the way that God has forgiven you. If you put up a hardened shell and don't allow forgiveness, don't allow that to go forth, remember, it goes two ways. You're not just keeping forgiveness in. You're not just keeping your forgiveness from going out. You're keeping God's forgiveness from coming in. You're keeping the healing. And when you think you're protecting yourself, I don't want to feel that pain again. I don't want to go through what I've gone through again. I don't want to have that hurt. You think you're protecting yourself, but really all you're doing is prolonging your healing. You're not protecting yourself because you're keeping yourself away from the forgiveness, from the love of God, from what he wants for you. It's the body that brings healing. And when you allow that openness, when you allow that, 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 that to be received, that's where healing happens. Healing occurs whenever we recognize that God is for us. We need to change the course. I, I, I know sometimes it might sound like learning how to surrender and people who are hard, they don't like to surrender. Because if I surrender, then that means I'm giving over to the enemy. Here's the problem with that. You don't surrender. Yes, you surrender to someone who is greater than you. But when it comes to your heart and healing, you're not surrendering to the one who defeated you. You're surrendering the one who defeated things for you. You're not surrendering to the one who is just greater than you. You're surrendering to the one who's greater than your hurt and your pain. And for some of us, I can't wave the flag of surrender because if I wave the flag of surrender, that'll be giving over to the enemy. And then I'll feel the hurt. I'll feel the pain. You're not surrendering to the enemy. You're surrendering to the God who is greater than your enemy. You're surrendering to the one who is over you, the one who is greater than you. This is not weakness. This is strength. This isn't giving up. This is taking up what he has for me. This isn't losing. This is becoming more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. You've got to turn your life over to Christ and become at a place of surrender because until you wave the flag of surrender, you'll never be able to stake the claim of belonging to God. On Iwo Jima, 72 years ago, this past February, when the Marines carried a flag in place, face of the enemy and the onset of what was coming against them, they raised a flag that was not surrender. They raised a flag that went into the ground to say this is territory of victory. We win. You think you're waving a surrender flag. It's a flag that says this belongs to God. I belong to Christ. Instead of letting your anger be a stronghold and a foothold to the enemy, start waving the flag of surrender to God and start saying, no, this doesn't belong to the enemy. This belongs to God. I belong to God. Every morning I've got to wake up and say today is the day the Lord has made. I belong to God. I'm turning my thoughts everything that I am. All that I am belongs to God. I'm not getting saved all over again. I'm just recommitting and surrendering and waving the flag of God. I belong to you. I'm yours. You are mine and my help comes from the Lord. When you're angry, you're giving home field advantage to the devil. But when you allow God to come in and comfort, you've just changed the course. You've just changed the whole game. You've just now flipped the course and now 
you've got home field advantage. Because now, I'm not giving the devil a foothold. I'm saying I belong to God. Have you surrendered that concern, that worry, that fear? And here's what we do. God, I need you to fix it. God, I need you to fix it. God, I need you to fix it. You know what I found out? Too many times we say, God, fix it. In the process of saying, God, fix it, we forget to hear God say, follow me. We forget to hear God say, follow me. Sometimes God isn't about fixing your problem. He's about leading you through your problem. He's not about fixing your problem. He's about leading you through your problem. You know why? Because the only way you can claim the territory that the enemy wants to take is when you walk through that land that is broken, that land that is hurting, that land that has been beat upon, that land that has been sheltered or, or taking hits, taking aim. When you start to carry with victory and you go through the place of your pain, when you go through the place, he's saying, I don't want to just fix you. I want you to follow me. And when you follow me, you're taking claim. This used to be a place of brokenness, but now it's a place of healing. This used to be a place of despair, but now it's a place of restoration. It used to point to all my hurt and my pain, but now it's my testimony of how good and how redeeming and how great my God is. He is faithful. He's been with me. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. There's a comforter who wants to come alongside and walk with you. He's not going to take your pain away, but he's going to come alongside and he's going to heal you in the process. He's not just going to take your pain away. He's going to lead you into healing. He'll resolve the conflict. Instead of you just living with tension and trying to keep the protection and anger and don't let anybody in, he says, I'll come alongside and I'll bring healing in your life. And I might not fix you here, but I'm going to lead you Follow me into victory so that you can not just say I'm healed, but you can say the Lord has restored to me everything the enemy took away. He's restored everything the enemy has taken away. He's restored what has been taken from me because that's how good he is. He's not just good enough to make you whole. He's good enough to bring back everything that you've ever lost in life including life itself. Because on that Friday, Jesus gave his life on the cross. He went to the devil's territory. He hung upon the cross and then he went into the cave of death. He literally went to the devil's field. He shows up at the devil's field for a game that he was well prepared for. And when it felt like fourth quarter, it's over. All of a sudden, he flipped the course. And that place of death is now an open grave. It says, if anyone believes in Jesus Christ, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Though he broken, be broken, he will be restored. I'm waving a flag, not just of surrender. I'm waving a flag that says, I belong to Jesus. I want to ask you today, have you given your heart to Jesus? Have you surrendered all that you are to Jesus? Have you allowed him every day to turn over those thoughts and those things for him to work through your anxieties, your difficult, whatever it is, that if anger gets a hold of you, it's going to hinder you. But today I want to say in Jesus' name, Let's not just wave a flag of surrender. That's the first flag. But let's take the claim that this land belongs to the Lord. That I belong to Him. 
I'm not giving the enemy a foothold. This belongs to